Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome home. My name is Tom. How are we all doing this morning? Okay. All but seven you, of you have been stricken mute this morning, and I, I'm sorry about that. How you doing? All right. That's what we're talking about. Glad you're here. Um, I know that there's precious little real estate around you. Uh, we love that. We love that you're here. We also want to remind you that uh, we do the same thing at 8 o'clock at night. Uh, so if you're traveling during the weekend, if when the snow starts flying, you go up on the mountain in the morning and you want to come back and you just can't, you're like us, we can't live without being together and getting our spiritual batteries charged and loving Jesus and loving each other and just being encouraged. You can do that at 8 p.m. We encourage you to do that um, if uh, the 10 o'clock is not working out for you. So uh, we do not have children's church today. That's the way we do it. Uh, we worship as a, as a whole family uh, the last Sunday of every month. So what I want to do <clears throat> is if you would have normally gone to children's church, I'd ask that you come up here so we can talk just for a minute. Okay, want to do a special thing for the kids. Want to get some wisdom from them. Come on up. Come on, I don't, I don't bite. Mia, you can come. You can be my assistant. You're the best dancer of the group. How are we going to do this without you? Come on. Allie, how you doing? How you guys doing? Good. Hey, hey thanks for bringing Silky. We're going to need that later. All right, guys, how are you? You know what we're talking about? We're talking about today? We're talking about like boo-boos that we've gotten and hurts. Has anybody ever gotten hurt? You guys ever gotten hurt? Harrison, what is like the worst hurt you ever got? You did? Man, did you keep playing hurt? Because the great ones always play hurt, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Anybody have a scar they can show us without getting in trouble? Do you? Allie, did you ever get hurt? Never. I've always thought of you as bulletproof. Now I know. Mia, did you ever get a boo-boo or anything? Which finger? Can you show me? Hope it's not the middle one. Okay. Oh, wow. That's great. How, who else? Anybody else gotten hurt? How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel when you get hurt? I got stung by a bee. You got stung by a bee? Where? On your foot. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What do you do when you get hurt? Where is the best place to go if you get hurt? Gracie, you know the answer, don't you? No. <laughs> you have like the best parents in the world. Do you not run to your mom or your dad when you get hurt sometimes? Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes we have things that comfort us, right? Oh, what'd you bring? What'd you bring up here? You have a lion, don't you? What's his name? Or is it a girl? It's Donald. Donald? <laughs> Donald. Okay. And does it make you feel good to have him with you? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Now, sometimes we have blankets. Does anybody, anybody have like a favorite blanket you've ever? Yeah? What do you call your blanket? Mine is the ball fly blanket. I know what a 
Hmm? Little baby. Okay, yeah. Sometimes we speak in tongues in this church, you know, sometimes. <laughs> who, else, who else has a favorite blanket? What do you call yours? I don't call mine anything, but it has a whole bunch of horses on it. That's great. Well, you got something to do when you get home. You can name it. How about you? Okay. You want to hold that up for us, Eli? Can you hold that up? No, not your passy. This, silky. This is silky, right? Yeah? This is my buddy Eli. He's Ryan and I'm going to... Can I pick you up? Yeah. Oh. I love you. You know that, right? Yeah. This is Ryan's little boy, Ryan and Elisa's little boy. So he's... Uh, be nice to him because he's a PK, you know, a pastor's kid. Uh, and, and I love him. And he has this blanket called Silky. There you go. Do you know what? Do you know what? I brought a blanket. I brought a real big one. And I bet, I bet that we could all fit under it. Do you want to try? Do you know what we call big blankets like this? Comforters. Comforters. We put them on our bed and we snuggle under them and it makes us feel comforted. That's why we call them comforters. And cozy and warm. You're right. Do you know what else? Do you know this word, comforter, is in the Bible? It is. God calls himself the God of all comfort. You know what he named the Holy Spirit? Jesus was calling the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a guess. Comforter. Yeah! He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. A comforter. So as long as we're in this world, we're going to get boo-boos and bee stings and scraped knees and, 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 and cut fingers. But he has given us each other. And he has given us a comforter to get under. Okay, so we're going to see what that looks like, okay? You ready? Need you guys to all get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Okay, anybody afraid of the dark? Good. Put this over you. I'm coming. Now, now we have everybody's arms around each other. We're all together. We're all together. And we're under the comforter. What can get us? Nothing. <laughs> Amen. And one of the best, oh my. <laughs> nothing, nothing happened under there. Nothing. One of the safest places to go is with mom and dad, right? And go, yeah. Now, I know your mom and dad, they're going to be hurt. Now, you go give them a hug. Thank you, guys. God bless you. We're going to find out more about comforting and comforter. Thank you. Thank you. Man, that is what we're shooting for, to grow down, to grow down. You know, um, when, did we, uh, when did we stop thinking that, um, that if our parents would kiss it, um, it would stop hurting? That, in a very um, basic theological sense, is, uh, is what we're talking about today. 
And, and, I, and God has such comfort for you and for me. And, and first of all, let me just say, uh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm so happy that we have baptisms today. Because of God's work in our midst, since January 1st uh, of 2009, we've had 37 people uh, in this church uh, be baptized. Many. Yeah. Lift it up. Um, it's because he is breaking into lives and, and breaking into hearts. And we still got some year left. I know we got one scheduled for next month because three people who, who wanted to get baptized today couldn't for one reason or another. So um, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Okay. We got a lot to do. We got a lot to do. How are you doing with that one life thing we talked about last week? Yeah? If you weren't here last week, get the podcast. It's on the web. Um, we talked about getting one life, one life that we love, somebody who is far from God and really pouring our lives into them, loving them until they know how God feels about them and, and really entering into their life and just being a blessing and, and not be ashamed to say, um, my life was far from God and is wrecked like yours. And um, let me introduce you to the one who can kiss it and make it better. Yeah? Okay, but we're not going with cliches because we've had enough of cliches. We want to get real with our real hurts and the real God. So here's the plan. We're going to pray. We're going to get right to work. We've got a lot to do, not a lot of time to do it in. Let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. It is such a joy, such a pleasure to be in your presence with your people. And uh, I, I just thank you. I ask your Holy Spirit to rain down, to open eyes, to open hearts, to open minds, and reveal yourself. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects, that he would be far from this place, and that you would have your way with us, Lord. Um, you came to bear our burdens. Um, Lord, help us get real with you so that we can receive real encouragement, real hope, real rejoicing. Um, and we can glorify you. Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins, and um, they are many. And that we would see Jesus and him only. And Lord, we, we, we are just so grateful. So grateful. And it's in your beautiful name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts 5. Acts 5. If you got a Bible, you want to open it there. We will be projecting them up there. If you don't, um, you can look under the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible that you... You can take home. Uh, we had tons of them fly out of here last week. We're so grateful. Uh, we're ordering more. Uh, so uh, if, you, if you need that, you take it. It's yours. Acts 5. What have our boys been up to? Because this is a continuing story. We got to figure out where we left off. They had a pretty wild day when, when last we checked in with them uh, last week. Uh, here's what's going. They were in central lockup. Here's what happened. Because they were sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and uh, God backed that up with signs and wonders and healings and miracles, and that unnerved the chief priests, so they had them locked up. Uh, he, the chief priest, and the clowns who were part of the temple leadership sent them away, and what happened? They tried to put the kibosh on all this Jesus stuff. He is spreading through the Holy Spirit. He is breaking into lives as we see him doing here. He is changing people. He is transforming hearts. He is giving them hope and a future and a life, a new life. 
And that gets them thrown into prison. And God, as soon as they're into prison, does an incredible miracle, a miracle even bigger than the Broncos going undefeated in week six. (laughs) What does he do? What does he do? If you were here, you know, he sent an angel into the prison to set them free, to set them free. Now, this was a real angel, a real baller. This was a, a, a huge awe-inspiring, fall-on-your-face angel, need-to-change-your-pants angel. Now, we got to get this straight because we got a lot of concepts. This is not the half-naked, diaper-wearing, cloud-sitting, harp-playing angel that we see in art and culture who's quoted every week in hometown happenings that you got to get in touch with your aura and release your inner rainbow and all. This is not that. This is a mighty messenger, servant of God and God's people, goes in, breaks them out. The the guards don't see it. They are free. Tells them what? Go back and do the same thing that got you locked up in the first place. Keep telling people. Keep keep telling people of the new life, of, of the good news of Jesus. So they do. And in the next morning, the... uh the chief priests come together and they send out the temple guard, the thugs, the mouth-breathing thugs that work out there, and they send them to the prison to look for the guys and bring them back, but they're not there. So they're angry. They're more angry. (laughs) They're out at the temple again preaching the good news. (coughs) Excuse me. And then they ask them a little nicer. Why don't you come back if 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 you don't mind? Uh, we'd like to talk to you about this Jesus thing. But that new, uh, kinder, gentler chief priest and scribe this doesn't last. It doesn't last. We're going to see that. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to just walk through the text. We're going to close out chapter 5. And uh, we're going to go rather quickly uh, and just touch on a few things because I want to get to an even larger or just as large miracle as the angel. I want you to see it. And and the neat thing about this particular miracle is that Jesus wants to do it again for you this morning. Uh, So very important that we get there. Verse 27, let's pick it up there. Uh, And when they had brought them, the apostles, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, and he said, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. See, they can't even bring themselves to say it, you know? It's like, Jesus, say it, you know? It's not that hard. They can't even say it. To teach, we told you, don't teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Okay, they have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. They did exactly what they were told not to do. Some of you can relate to this. Tommy, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, do not draw a mustache on your little sister with the Sharpie. They have told these guys, I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, we do not want you saying that name We do not want you talking about this new life. We don't want it. Stop it. And they filled Jerusalem 
they filled the city with this teaching. And what is this teaching? They're telling the Jews, they're telling everyone, they're telling them that Jesus is the God of all eternity, the God of the universe, that he created them for a life of blessing and joy. But the problem is that sin entered the world, infected the world since our first parents, and it has infected all of us since then, and we're breaking down and we're breaking apart our relationships with each other and with him, and, and it's destroying and killing the people that Jesus loves. So he came to earth on a rescue mission to set us free from the old life that is burdened by sin, that is burdened by hate, that is burdened by trying to find a way other than the one that God has created for us, to trying to find a way to be the men and the women that he created us to be without him. And he, he says, you can be free because a lot of these people are religious. A lot of these people are religious. They do the church thing. They do the temple thing. He's saying, I want to set you free from your religion of trying to earn God's approval by him winning God's approval for us. That he came and he lived the life that we couldn't live and he came and he died the death that we all deserve to set us free. And that every bad thing that they've done, that we've done, every sin we've ever committed, he has absorbed he loves us so much that he absorbed that. He died for it. He paid the price. He died for our salvation so that death would have no power over us. He rose for our salvation so that we too might rise, so that we might have new life. This is what they're filling the city with, this teaching. And, and that he did that for them on the cross as their substitute for their sins to set them free, to set them free. And they have filled Jerusalem with this teaching, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to fill Gunnison, and we're here to fill Western with the teaching of the good news, with the good news that Christ is here and that he is real and that he wants to give us new life. That's what we're here for. Moving on, 29. They said, you have filled Jerusalem with this teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Can't say the name, 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. These are rebels for Jesus. It's great, it's great. So the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed. He's getting very subtle here. By hanging him on the tree, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Okay, we're going through, but real quickly, he gives repentance as a gift. Do you get that? Now, most people don't think of repentance as a gift. Repentance has gotten a really bad rap over the years, and I just, I, I need for us to understand that it is a gift, that it is a beautiful thing, that it is a U-turn. Okay, that's the way I want to think about it, is a U-turn. How many have been driving in a strange city, and you have the address of the place you need to go, and you have the street address, and you think you're on the right street, and the numbers are going up, but they're supposed to be going down, right? And you know you're really lost because you used to be downtown, and now you're in the projects. You're in a third world country, and the cops don't even go in there. The kids in the sandbox are packing heat. 
You know, you got to get out. But every intersection you come to, no left turn, no U-turn. So you're just, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you just want to take a U-turn so that you can get out of there and get back on the right road to go where you're supposed to go. Here's what repentance is. U-turns permitted, encouraged at every intersection. God does not want us to continue to go down the road that we know is bringing us death and destruction uh, in our families, in our hearts, in our relationship, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. He doesn't want that. Repentance is the gift of U-turns. And once we make that, we find all the grace and all the blessing of God. So it is a gift. It is a gift. We're moving on. You know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing we got a lot of ground to cover. Okay. Verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. 33, this takes a turn right here. When they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, he stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Kids, they just gave the apostles a time out, okay? So it is biblical. Okay, <laughs> parents, I'm here to love you and help you. I am. I am. So this, here's what Gamaliel said, verse 35. He says to them, men of Israel, take care. Be careful. Think carefully about what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census. He drew away some of the people after him. He too perished. He died. And all who followed him were scattered. It came to nothing, this movement. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, the apostles, and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. If Jesus is just like Theodos, is just like this Judas character, it's gonna, this, this Christian thing is going to flame up and burn out. It's going to fail. But, but, if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. If Jesus is who he said he is, then you are in deep trouble. I don't know if Gamaliel saw this, that every tribe and tongue, every type of person, every person who's been wrecked by addiction and sin and hate and lust and everything else has hope in Jesus Christ, that every country, that every color, that every person is, it has an open door to come. And we're seeing it. And, and we're seeing it. And we want to see more of it. If God is who he said he was, 
if Jesus is Lord, then this is unstoppable. He was prophesying there. So they took his advice, kind of. Verse 40, and when they called back in the apostles, they beat them. Um, we need to stop there. We need to stop there. Hit the pause button for, for a second. Um, well, for a little while. This raises a tough question that many of us wrestle with, whether we articulate it this way or not. Um, does living a faithful life exempt you or spare you from suffering? Does leading a faithful life exempt you or spare you from awful suffering? Let's look at what happened here. It says they, they beat them. Other translations said they flogged them. We know from scriptures and other historical accounts that commonly that word was used for 39 uh, uh, whippings, lashes, um, and here's how they would do it. They had a braided leather cord. Often it had bones and, and pieces of rock uh, woven into it. And the 39 uh, lashes were two on the back and one on the chest. And then they repeated that 13 times. Do the math in your head. 39. They were beat. Um, and they were beaten to ribbons. How does this fit with your theology? How does that fit with your theology, your understanding of God? That's the question. Please, please don't, don't tell me that you believe in, in karma. <laughs> that good things happen to good people and, and bad things happen to bad people because it raises the question, have you ever left your house? Have you ever watched the news? Have you ever heard of Katrina or 9-11 or Lisa? Or do you have any friends? Um, it just doesn't happen that way. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a story that many of you know about two houses. One is built on the sand and the other is built on the rock. But what happens? The storm comes and hits them both. Not because the house on the sand deserved it and the house on the rock didn't deserve it or did deserve it. It's because they live in a place where storms happen. And it hits them both. Why, why is this important? Why is it important? Because we, we have to know that we live in a place where storms happen. We do. We live in a broken world. Not everything that happens is God's perfect will. That's why we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven, and one day it will. Now, everything that does happen doesn't surprise God. It is part of his permissive will. But we live in a world that is broken and fractured. And in it, there is disease and accidents and heartbreak. And that is the very thing that Jesus came and suffered for. We have to know that we live in a broken world. And why is this so important? Because if we hold the spiritually false view that so many do, I mean, there are churches across the country, you will have no trouble finding one if this is what you're into. That as long as I follow Jesus, as long as I live right, bad things will not happen to me. Lives will not be cut short. No doctor will ever say, you have cancer. My children will all have good skin, straight teeth, and all of that. If we really buy into that, then here's what happens. When suffering comes, and it will, it causes us to question the existence of God, the love of God, the grace of God and to walk away from Jesus when we most need to be running to him and clinging to him with everything that we are. With everything that we are. It can cause us to do something else. People in church are very good at this. If we don't realize that all suffering all tragedy is linked directly or indirectly to the fact that we live in a broken world where sin and evil have entered in, then we who are not suffering tend to look at those who are and tell them, well, first, we enjoy going to our friends and kind of gossiping about what led to this and what utter sin in their life has brought this about. People in the Bible did that all the time. The guy who was born blind, do you remember that, that story? Whose sin, his or his parents, made, made this happen? That's what the church does. And then some of us will go to that person and explain to them why their life is now wrecked because their life was such a, a train wreck before, inside, now outside. And we drive people farther from Jesus because they can't stand to be around his people. When God never calls us to do that. Instead, he calls us to bear their burdens, to suffer with them, to bless them, to lift them up, not to go around like referees and blow the whistle and throw the flag and identify that thing that is led in our minds to their losing a child or going to prison or being in rehab or you got it we have to realize that in humility we live in a broken world but but we serve a risen savior who has entered into and experienced that suffering and he is delivering us delivering us Put yourself in the place of the apostles. 
they come back in and the chief priests, and they tell them the sentence. They're going to get whipped. They're going to get shredded, all of them. What do you think they're thinking? Do you not think they're thinking, hey, we're on Jesus' varsity team, you know? Some of us are writing the Bible. I mean, we have arrived, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Of course you would. Some of you question the justice of God if you go to the mall and don't find the right parking space. I know, I've heard it. Like, that's Jesus' main concern. He doesn't want a fat guy walking two extra blocks. Yeah. Some of us are writing the Bible. I mean, hey, not 12 hours ago, we were in prison. God sent an angel to bust us out. Nobody's getting whipped here, right? Nobody's getting whipped here, right? Wrong. They are. They are. When we build our theology around God acting the way that we suppose he should act, then when he doesn't, we're going to show him. We're just not going to worship him anymore. But that's not what they thought. Say, God, you be God. I'm not good at it. I'm not called to it. If in this instance you want to rescue me, glorify your name through it, and I will praise you. If in this instance you would be more glorified by having me endure the unimaginable, then bring it on. Just don't leave me. And I know that there is coming a day when this will not happen anymore. I know that's why you came. I know that's why you died. And I know that's why you rose. Let that joy be in me so that I can get through this. Not just get through this, but not lose my not lose my joy because I want to shine for you whether I'm bleeding out or whether I'm walking out. Amen? I, Matt, we want to look at the Bible and build our theology around the truth of God. Because when we don't, we end up with this imaginary God, with this imaginary Jesus. And when it doesn't play out the way we have scripted it, we're out. And who loses? I do. You do. Okay. Okay. Verse 40, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. When you speak this name in your heart, in your home, to your friends, things happen. 
things happen in the spiritual. So the evil one, the devil, Satan, influences them to give the thing that he doesn't want to happen. He says, do not speak this name. You can believe anything you want. Just keep it to yourself. How many has he told this to? You believe anything you want. I know your friends and your family and people you love are suffering things they don't need to suffer and wrestling with things they don't need to wrestle and trying to live life on their own, but do not speak this name. And they let them go. Verse 41, and the apostles left the presence of the council. Get this, don't miss this. Rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They are in shreds. Can't touch their chest. Can't touch their back. They're walking out, praising God through their tears. Yeah. What's the takeaway for you and for me? If we could see what they saw, if we could know what they knew, if we could believe what they believed, our lives would be so different because everybody in here, you, me, Matt, Ryan, Ryan, Amanda, everybody is hurting. He's hurting somehow. If not now, then we're still hurting from our past. I know many of you. I love all of you. And some of the things that you have walked through, I pray I never have to walk through. You've been through a lot. Did you see the miracle? Did you see the miracle there in 41? No less than an angel breaking the apostles out of prison is that God's people can go through unimaginable suffering and leave rejoicing. If you leave here with nothing else today, I want you to know that what you have gone through, what you are going through has meaning to God, has meaning, and he can give you joy even in the midst of it, even in the midst of it. You have a choice. You have a choice this morning whether to enter into that or not. I, I pray that you will. If we could just wrap our minds around that, things would be different. Many of us carry scars. I asked the kids about their scars. Mia has a finger that's scratched, and Harrison has a knee. It's got a scrape on it. What are you carrying? Do you have scars of relationships and betrayal? Divorce, somebody 
abuse you. Maybe when you were a kid, lives cut short. Did you lose a son, a daughter, a spouse, a brother, a sister, your finances, your relationships, a parent? Are you carrying around disease in your body? Rejection. That's what we need. And it leaves us with questions. Why does a loving God allow us to suffer? What did we do to deserve this? Why didn't he answer my prayer? Every deathbed, just about, is the site of an unanswered prayer. Or so we think. Where was Jesus when I needed him the most? Does my suffering have any meaning? If we cannot attach meaning to our suffering, then we will fall into despair. You know people who have done that, if it's not yourself. But if in Christ we can find meaning in our suffering, then we can endure anything with rejoicing. I want you to know what this looks like, what this looks like. So I've asked a friend, he's an elder here, um, his name's Brenton, if you haven't met him, you need to, because um, to know him is to know a little bit more about what Jesus is like, and I asked him to share. <clears throat> uh, yeah, Tom asked me a couple days ago to uh, share my personal uh, suffering I've gone through, and I don't think by any means it's any worse than uh, what anybody else has gone through. We've all had things in our lives that are maybe life-changing events or painful in lots of different ways. Um, let me start by saying that I think uh, I love my life. I, uh, I like everything about my life. I like where God has me right now. I like how uh, I'm, in, I'm growing as a person. I like uh, having a clearer vision probably right now for what... Uh, why the talents I've been given are to be used for him. I think uh, all that stuff has uh, come, I have a better grasp on it than I've ever had. But I don't think any of that would have happened without pain in my life. And uh, hopefully you guys can identify with that. Uh, Tom asked me this on Friday, and uh, he didn't know, I don't think, but uh, this is actually the anniversary week of, of a tragedy in my life. And uh, so I was a senior in high school, and... Uh, Driving home from school one day, and uh, myself, I was a senior, my sister was a sophomore, uh, her name's Colette, and uh, so we're driving down the road, and we're in a two-lane road, and uh, just talking about the day, and uh, we come over a hill, and there's a bus stopped, and, and then a buddy of mine was in front of me, he stopped behind the bus, and then Colette and I stopped behind them, and uh, I'm sitting there talking to her, and all of a sudden I hear something, and, and look in the rearview mirror, and uh, I see this car, you know, fly into the back of us, and... Uh, Ends up this kid, uh, he's going 110 miles an hour and uh, just seeing how fast his girl's new car would go and came over the hill and didn't have any time to hit the brakes or anything, hit us. Uh, so we, you know, we ended up about 125 feet away, our car did, and then he hit the other car, put it underneath the bus, and then he flew off the other side of the road. Uh, I, uh, my Colette asked me, she said, what was that? And I told her that red car, and then I blacked out for a minute, and then... Uh, 
then I came to her, I looked at her, and she was looking at me, but she wasn't conscious anymore. And uh, A lot of events happened the next few hours, but by the end of that night, uh, she died. And uh, <clears throat> my, uh, let me give you some more background. I, my dad's a preacher, so I've been a preacher's kid my whole life. And uh, so I know what's right and wrong, and I know that God cares for us and so on. Uh, I'm, you know, I had the whole world my whole life ahead of me. I was on top of the world at that point in my life. I'm heading out to college. To, I played baseball and football both in college. I'm excited about those opportunities. And, uh, and all of a sudden, all that changed. And, uh, you know, obviously, the questions that Tom raised of why, why does that stuff happen to us, those things went through my mind for a long time, and I didn't enjoy life for a while. And I was very angry about the kid and at God and at everything else. And uh, during that, or through that whole process, uh, <coughs> it became obvious, and not immediately, and a lot of anger between these times, but it became obvious, and it's super obvious to me now, that uh, the only reason that I went through that stuff is so that I can now have what I have in my life. I don't think I would be where I'm at right now. There's no chance I'd be where I'm at right now or the things I've been able to accomplish uh, myself and through God in the last however many years has been since then. There's no chance any of that would have happened if he hadn't allowed that suffering in my life and in my parents' lives. Uh, we're all better people for it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I've also learned through that process that, you know, as a competitive person, as most of those guys are, all of a sudden I had a lot of things that I cared about taken away from me. And... Uh, you know, it doesn't seem fair, and you get jealous, and you see other people's lives, and you see guys who have their sisters still, and that doesn't, doesn't make any sense why I don't get to have that same joy in my life as that guy does. But the fact is, and the most uh, profound thing I've learned through all this is that uh, jealousy and, and wishing I had what I think I should have uh, really doesn't, it's, it's unbelief, because the fact is, if I really believe in this God we're always talking about, that uh, then I need to believe he's got a plan, and I just got to wait to see it through. And uh, now that I've seen that plan through, there's no question he knew what he was doing in allowing this to happen. And I'm thankful for that day, even as hard as that is to say. Thank you, man. We're going to uh, <clears throat> we're gonna wrap it up. We have another week. Next week, um, it's too big, too big a topic to unpack in one week. Um, but I want you to consider something. God says in the Psalms, or David says, you have, speaking about God, you have put my tears in a bottle. You have collected them. Okay. In Revelation, we see that there is coming a day. Revelation 21.4. When God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall be, there be any more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It will not always be this way. It will not always be this way. Jesus came. Jesus suffered. Jesus died. And Jesus rose. 
to put an end to suffering, grief, and pain. And in the meantime, he collects your tears and he will wipe them away. And until that day, he has given us each other, just like the kids here, and he has given us his Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And he's asked us to bear one another's burdens. Brenton, will you stand with me? I don't hang to get you back up. Molly, you too. These are people who I know have come on around this way, gone through suffering. Justin, you mind standing with me? These are people who know intimately what suffering, <clears throat> what pain is. Buddy, you want to stand with me? Come on. Sandy, you can stand with me if you want. Denim. David. Melanie. Jim, you know, you know, Brenda, I'm not going to embarrass these people that I love, but here it is. God is putting an end to everything that you're going through, that you've gone through. And I'm speaking as one who wants to walk through this with you because he has given us each other and the comforter. And he is collecting our tears until he wipes them away. And as he died to enter into our suffering. He rose to remind us that we will rise. Not just at the end, but as Brenton said, there will come a day when we can rejoice. For some of you, it's today. It's today. He wants to do this miracle again and again and again. Because after he does that in us, there is a whole city, there is a whole college who is far from him that desperately needs the comfort that he has shown us. And he's calling us to go and to love them until they know how he feels about them. We will rise. God bless you, my friends. We're going to have a chance to rejoice. Go back. Go ahead. I love you. There is no... 
But it's a solitary confinement. Is that what they tell you when you go into jail and they don't let you talk to anybody or touch anybody? That's punishment because it goes exactly against the will of God that we would draw close to him and close to each other. And in our relationships with him and with each other, we would see him real. Hmm? But in our suffering, what we tend to do is isolate ourselves. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because we end up on our knees asking God to touch us that we might feel his presence, that we might feel his presence. And all along, there are other believers who are as close as this. We need, if we really believe that the comforter lives in us, to be Jesus and start wiping away those tears from each other's eyes because we don't rejoice alone and we don't suffer alone and we don't rise alone. We do it together. That's why I need you. On Sunday, but not just on Sunday, I need you to walk through life with me. You need each other. Somebody might need me to walk through life together so that we can unpack and release Jesus until that day. Until that day. And it's coming. It will not always be like this. So we do not deny our suffering. And we don't run away from it. We lift it up. And with arms around each other and hearts intertwined, we're going to more than get through this. We're going to rejoice. Let's pray.